Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feet for Service Dentist Podcast. This is part one of our interview with Dr. Hina Chaudhry. Fascinating, fascinating individual. She's going to tell us about her beginnings from a nine-year-old and her first dental, not her first, but one of her first dental visits and what it meant to her and how she wanted to become a dentist after that. Accelerated graduate undergrad program, a 3-4 from Rutgers to UMDNJ. Your residency, which really changed her, her trajectory. You're going to enjoy how that happens. Then as an associate in multiple, multiple offices, DSOs, private practice, PPO, you name it. Then a partnership. And it's one of the weirdest partnerships I've ever heard of. She's going to tell us about that. And that's what we're going to cover. Part two will be the next episode. Then we're going to hear what she's doing now. Because in 2021, she has her own private fee-for-service dentist practice, which is why she's on the show. Great story. You're going to love it. As always, brought to you by Kettenbach. Kettenbach is our sponsor. Kettenbach has a brand new restorative material. It's called Vesalis Fill and Vesalis Flow. Very high density. It's a great polishable uh, restorative composite. It can be used anterior, posterior. It comes in a multitude of shades. Check them out today. You can call Kettenbach at 877-532-2123. Great pricing, great products, great company. They have representatives in your area. As always, you can reach them online, kettenbachusa.com or kettenbach-dental.us. Reach out, talk to Dan, tell him you're a fan of our podcast. Appreciate you all. Enjoy the episode. Remember, part two is coming up shortly thereafter. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns. I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome, everybody, to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. We have a great guest today, Dr. Hina Chaudhry. And this is someone who was making some comments, and of course, I stalked her, and I said, hey, would you like to go on the podcast? And she was like, sure. So we roped her in, and we've been planning this off and on working around garage installations at her house and some other things and all that fun stuff and turns out we are in a very close location actually geographically so let me give you a little background on dr henna chaudry uh at the age of nine she knew she wanted to be a dentist isn't that great accelerated program at Rutgers. So she went to Rutgers, did a 3-4, which is three years undergrad, four years in UMDNJ, and she graduated in 2010. So we have an achiever here, folks. So this is going to be fun. Her hometown, Jackson, New Jersey, you know it well, did a year, one-year GPR at St. Charles in Port Jeff, New York. And all of a sudden, New York started to call her a little bit away from New Jersey. How about that? She was an associate for many years in the New Jersey and Connecticut areas and became a partner in practice in Westchester, New York in 2016. Pretty much all set, right? Well, no. In 2021, she opened her own fee-for-service practice 
in that same area outside of the restrictive covenant that she signed as a partner. So we're going to get into all that. I can't wait to talk to her. Please welcome Dr. Hina Chaudhry. How are you today? Hello, everyone. I am doing great, Sunny. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. I am so excited talk to other doctors about my journey um, and what I did to get myself into a position where I have been the happiest I've ever been in my entire life practicing and doing what I love. Happiest she's ever been. I'm just going to repeat that. Okay. So this is what this show is all about, right? Is what's your journey? How'd you get there? What's your pitfalls? What'd you learn along the way? And then Share some of that with our, our audience, and I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate to this. I, I am, This is an interesting point to me that really struck me was most of the time when a person joins as a partner, they're, they're in. They've bought in. They're a partner. And now you have to get out of the partnership. I'm sure that wasn't really a comfortable situation, but let's, uh, let's get right into it. So at the age of nine, what happened at the age of nine that you said, I want to be a dentist? How'd that come the future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. So a lot of patients ask me this question, and the only thing that sticks out in my head is I grew up in Jackson, New Jersey, which is a very small town, especially when we moved there. I am one of three. So my dentist at the time had a small home office. So when my brothers and I went, my father, when my father took my brothers and I, it would just be us in the office and no one else. So I was always the one one to go first. So I remember going first and he had a treasure chest full of toys. So I went out and he let me get a, a toy of the treasure chest. And I picked a uh, the wooden paddle with the ball on the elastics that you, you yeah, get yeah. around. And uh, my older brother was in the chair. My middle brother and I were in the waiting room. And my dad was going back and forth between the chair and the waiting room. I'm the youngest. I'm the only girl. I am most likely was a brat. And I was most likely hitting my brother with the ball. And my brother grabbed the ball. And this I remember. I grabbed the ball and he ripped it off the string. And I started screaming bloody murder. Because what would happen is I would do something to my brother's. And then I would cry and get my brothers in trouble because my dad, you know, I was the youngest and the girl. So my dad comes rushing out and I'm screaming bloody murder. And my dad is getting so embarrassed and mad at us. And he's just telling me to be quiet and this and that. And the doctor comes out and says, what's going on? They said, he broke my toy. So the dentist says, there's another one in there. Take another one. And I looked at him and I remember being so happy that I was able to get another toy. And I remember bragging to my brothers. He gave me two toys. He didn't give you two toys. He gave me two toys. So that's where it kind of started, where I was like, oh, I love going. Fast forward three, four years, I had Dracula fangs. I hated smiling. My teeth were so crowded. Back then, they did not do expansion. So they waited until all of my baby teeth were out and then they did real extractions. So I had four on the floor. taken out. Yep. Had four more premolars taken out, um, had my braces done. Thankfully, got them off right before I entered high school. And my social skills, my my confidence, everything just skyrocketed. And I was more involved in school. I had more energy. I wanted to actually, like, you know, make friends and go out. And I loved smiling. And it was probably around freshman, sophomore year that I told uh, my guidance counselor that I wanted to be a dentist. And that's kind of how the whole accelerator program came about. So I love your story that I most likely was a brat. I can neither confirm nor deny. I mean, this is not a this is not a, a congressional inquiry. No. <laughs> that was great. That was a great description. I get it. I get it. I know because your brothers might be listening and, you know, you want to be like, okay, I, I maybe was a brat. Yeah, I get it. I was the youngest. I had two older sisters. You know what being a brat is all about. So. It was reverse order, right? Youngest boy, two older sisters. Your youngest girl, you have two older brothers. I get it. I totally get yep. it. All right. So I guess the message in that story really is, listen, hey, somebody breaks their little paddle ball, give them another one, they'll become a dentist. I, I think that's great motivation for us dentists to encourage younger people to become dentists. That's a great idea. All right. When so 
when I was working my other office and we had a, a treasure chest, I would always let the kids take an extra toy because I was like, who knows? You might be the future dentist of America. Take another one. See? There you I go. I don't think it's in my office, so there's no treasure chest. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long-term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service, starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text fee for service to 818-489-9823. 818-489-9823. This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit DocSites for more information. Following the roadmap. All right. So, so, uh, you said that the introduction and the thought about the entrance to Rutgers and then UMDMJ, this program, I'm guessing you graduated very high in your class in high school. So that was the thing. I was mediocre. Okay. I wasn't valedictorian. I wasn't stupid. I, my, my, so the requirement for the accelerator program was a 1250 in the SAT, and it was some sort of GPA or whatever. So I had the GPA. I was ranked maybe 30, I think, 35 in my class. I think it was a class. My, I have a very large high school, so I want to say it was at least like 300 people. So I was pretty high, but I wasn't valedictorian or anything. My SAT scores were 1280. I took them about five times. Um, my downfall was verbal. I could not get anything more than like a 510 on verbal, but my math was always skyrocketing. So I had a 1280. So the way that the program worked is, and thankfully my guidance counselor in high school was amazing because she's the one that found these programs. So there's probably about five or six schools that I applied to for this, for this specific program. And when Rutgers, it's Rutgers NJT, when they called me and they wanted me in, it was an interview with the college. And then if you pass that interview, you got an interview with the Honors College. If you pass that interview, then you got an interview with the Dean of the Dental School. So I went through all of those interviews, got into the interview with the Dean of the Dental School. And it was more, I think, my energy, my personality, my passion that kind of showed through. And again, my teeth being straight, it was a story. I had a good story. And I remember my dad driving me from Jackson to Newark. I'd never been to Newark before, so we were getting lost and we were getting scared and everything because Newark is not the safest of places. Oh, it was. So we're at the interview, and after the interview, we're talking. I think I was in there for maybe 45 minutes talking to the dean of the dental school. And he calls my dad, and he goes, when Hannah gets the letter, and then he goes, if Hannah gets the letter, and me and my dad look at each other, we're like, when we leave, we're like, did I just get into dental school? And did he just flip and say that I'm, I'm in? So two days later, I got the letter. So it was honestly, and it was in my head, I was not, I didn't have a 1500 SAT. I didn't have a, I wasn't valedictorian. I was, I was barely at the cusp of the requirements. And I think it was just, again, my love and my passion for dentistry just shine through. So I think everyone just kind of realized she really, really wants this. That was great that they recognized that because to me, that's what makes a great dentist. That passion. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's in your DNA. It comes out of your pores. And that's what you share with your patients. And that's exactly. what the patients ultimately are buying. They're buying you and what you have to offer. And versus, you know, a robot, they're going to do this, you know. Exactly. And I feel like that is also the hardest part in dentistry is that personality, that passion, where a lot of my patients come to me and they're like, I don't feel like I'm at a dentist. I feel like I'm hanging out with my friends because it's, it's just, it, it should be fun. Dentistry isn't fun as it is. So if there's a dentist that enjoys what they're doing, it's not going to be a job. And I never, I have never worked a day in my life this is just fun love it i say the same thing and you are a 2010 grad so i got you by a couple of years yeah. so <laughs> just congratulations a couple. Just a couple. that's awesome um 
Tell folks though a little bit about this 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 direct program. What were some of the other schools that you had you were aware of? So let, let me just ask one question prior to that. The dental school says we accept you. The college accepts you. Therefore, you're in this program. And it was three years undergrad, four years of dental school. Talk a little bit about what some of the other choices you had were and what that means. And, and what did you have to, you had to maintain a certain GPA, right? Certain things to stay in the program. So the other schools that I can think of so long ago, because this was uh, 2003 that I was applying. So this was 20 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so old. Um, <laughs> um, I know is Worcester Polytechnic, WPI had a program in Massachusetts. Um, Rochester had a program. Um, I think there are a couple programs down south that I applied to. I think there are five total. I think those were the five. There are a couple, two programs down south, the one in Jersey, um, and then the one in Massachusetts and one in New York. Um, Obviously, the one I wanted to go to the most was the one closer to home because it was going to be the cheapest. Um, so in the three years, it was three years straight. I, I went through the winters, went through the summers. Um, oh, okay. I, had to fail in, um, I had to do two summer research projects. So one summer, it was I was just spent on, I think I was researching telomeres in a in rats, I believe, um, telomerase, and another one, it was something with bacteria. Um, so I had to do two summer research projects. Um, in the winters, there was some of my other prereqs that weren't really important, like the electives. So for me, I think it was, it was the first year I did the winter and the summer. The second year, it wasn't the winter, it's the summer. And the third year, I think it was, I didn't have to do anything. So I think it was just one winter class I had to take, and it was the two summers. Um, I had to maintain, I think, a 3.4. So it wasn't even, again, and I went to Rutgers Newark, and no offense to anyone that went to Rutgers Newark, but Rutgers Newark is a great school, but it's the school that people go to if they don't get to New Brunswick campus. So it was easy. I didn't really study too hard. I kind of skid by. I did great. Um, you know, it was just, I had taken some of these courses in high school already with AP. Um so I had to take the DATs just because they wanted to have statistics, but they said specifically that it didn't matter how I did. I was already in. So, so pressure's of me, Yeah. As, as, but with me, as Sunny, you said, I'm no retriever. So I studied and I took courses and I actually got a 26 on my DATs, um, which obviously the school loved as well. Yeah, you blew um, it up. So I, I started dental school in 2006, um, and when I started dental school, I had to learn how to study because the entire time I was in college, I was not studying. So that was a wake-up call for me. My freshman year was very, very hard in dental school because I was just used to sliding by and doing what I needed to, and now all of a sudden in dentistry, I, had to, I actually had to study and memorize and learn and figure out how do I actually study. But... Thankfully, knock on wood, everything went fine. Um, first year was rough, but second and, and once I got into clinicals, everything just kind of slid by. It was more it was more first and second year were hard. Okay. All right. So you you I I've known some people. I, I Lemoyne had a program where it was a three, four, and a four four. And some people at, in the three four program said no, because they they you end up having to take four years of school in three years. So they jam you chock full of classes. So a couple mm -hmm. folks that I know personally moved from the 3-4 to the 4-4 program. Was that an option for you? I didn't know it was. Okay. So oh, good for you. I, I feel like if I knew, I probably still would have would have jumped in and uh, kept with it. Um, mm -hmm. My story gets a little bit more complicated, which we can try to get into at some point which I don't mind going into more of my personal kind of details of my trajectory, but I don't know if it's something that you want to discuss on this podcast. I know it's more of a fee for service and more of my office than anything. Okay. All right. So share that at any, any point, anytime you feel like, uh, so you graduate and you do the residency program. Mm -hmm. 
Why? Yep. So, so I initially, my third and fourth year with clinicals, um, I, I hated dentistry. I Ooh. did not like drilling. I did not like dentistry. Um, um, I started looking into perio. I love surgery. I love perio. I loved implants. I loved the blood and gore. I always wanted to be in medicine. So I decided um, my end of third year that I wanted to uh, be a periodontist. So I applied for a bunch of externships, went to like four or five different schools, went to San Antonio, loved it. They said, you know what, if you do a GPR, like your grades aren't as high as we'd want them to be. Because again, I was always in the middle. I was always mediocre. I was never top of my class. Um, they said, we'll let you in. So then I started scrambling because I was not applying to GPRs. So I am not very religious, but I believe in this higher being. And I believe he was always looking out for me because I randomly, I'm trying to want like um, last minute trying to apply for GPRs. Obviously all these spots are full. And I get an email from St. Charles saying that there's an opening. So I jump on it. I'm like, you know what? Go to Long Island, do a one-year GPR because I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't like general dentistry to jump in there and go into dental, go into a private practice. So I felt like I needed that extra help. And then also in the back of my head, I want to be a periodontist. And they said, do a GPR and you'll get in. So in my head, I had to do a GPR. So I went to St. Charles. It was probably the best thing that's, one of the best things that's happened to me. Because that residency, my residency director, um, Dr. Kerry Logan, um, he was phenomenal. Um, she molded us, trained us, helped us, um, picked up the pieces of my life falling apart around me, um, and really pushed us. She was the doctor that to this day, I still, after I do a crown or a root canal or a surgery, I call my patients the next day to see how they're doing. And she was the one that I would get written up if I did not call my patients after. So she instilled that little tidbit into my being that I still have patients today that say, no one's ever called me after a crown. No one's ever called me. Like this, you're, and it's the doctor calling you. So I mean, the, the staff, it's the doctor. So I had, when I, when I went to residency, again, going to residency, you have to have an idea of what you want to do. I hated endo. And I remember talking to my mother, I remember my mother, and she said, why do you hate it? I was like, I know, I just hate it. And she goes, you know why you hate it, Hannah? you don't know how to do it that's why you hate it and light bulb went on and it's like you know what i want to learn how to do endo and residency so all i did was i did endo i focused on endo i got my molar endo down to 35 minutes flat start to finish with a good seal and a good patient not having pain so as i'm in general dentistry now i'm like i actually like gpr i actually like general dentistry because if i want to do a bone graft. I was working with periodontal attendings. If I want to do a gum graft, a bone graft, if I want to do a crown like thing, I can. If I will learn how to do implants, I can. I can do whatever I want. So I decided to stick to general dentistry because at this point now, I'm not confiding myself. And I know me as a person, I get bored easily. So if I had to just do implants every day, I would probably have gone sick of it after about three years. So at this point now, I'm able to expand my horizons and pretty much do anything I wanted. You're a lot like me in that in that sense. That was one of the things I thought of. And the other part of it was an endo, an undergrad. I hated it. I was like, why is this so difficult? Like, I didn't understand the concept that they were teaching it. Okay. So I remember struggling. And then I remember Ming Shi Levine was our instructor. And she was the head of, uh, of, um, of the uh, endo department. And she just said to me, you know, oh, I see you're struggling, you know. And you need help. Hold on one second. So I went to her and, and I was like, I, I, I don't get this. I can't stand this. What's going on? She was like, I was waiting for you to come ask for help. And, and then she worked with me one-on-one. -on -one and all of a sudden, like a light bulb went off. And next thing you know, I took what they called a minor back then. And I worked a little bit in summer clinic with the grad students. I did. I was ready to gobble up any of the endos in undergrad. So... I was like, this isn't so bad. And, and I and it was. It was a simple concept, but the way it was taught, yeah. it was like astrophysics. I was like, why is this so hard? Make it an ice cream cone. I could do that. You know, like exactly. 
you know. So good for you, right? Good for your mom to recognize that. And good for you for listening, especially as a young brat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so it's interesting. So your GPR initially was, hey, this is my stepping stone to get to to periodontics, and now you're in there and you have an open mind and you allow them to teach you and to learn. And now you're like, hey, why do I want to limit myself? And I, I couldn't agree more. Why? Why? Why not? You know, like every day for me is like, okay, I got a root down here. I got a crown there. I got a filling. I got extraction. Yeah. I got an implant. I got dentures. I, I mean, why not? You enjoy people. You enjoy people. Now you can provide a full range of services. Exactly. Good for you. So now you decide, all right, hey, enough of this. I'm going to do my thing in general dentistry. You finish up. And and kudos to your your residency director, right, for for instilling in you some real customer service traits. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the residency is so busy just working on you know certain things. I had the chance to spend a little time with the St. Joe's residency up in Syracuse the other day and listen to the presentations from the uh, residents. Little different tact, you know. So kudos to that director and for you for absorbing it. Now you're looking for a job. What are you looking for? So at the time, um, I had moved up to Union, New Jersey. So um, right before I started dental school in 2006, my family moved up moved up to Union, New Jersey. Right next to the office, there was a uh, corporate dental office. Union um, City? In Union, Union, New Jersey. Not Union, Union City? Union? Not Union City. It's near Springfield. So I would go there, extract your teeth for, you know, you had to get extracted teeth for dental school. And I would go there and, you know, say, my dad is, can I come in like, you know, shadow for a bit or whatever. So I formed a kind of a bond with this corporate dental office. So um, when I was finishing my residency, I reached out to the, the, um, the district manager and she said, we have two openings in Rochelle near in uh, Roselle Park and Tom's River. Um, you have the job. So I started with the corporate dental office um, in July, 2011. So I was working um, four to five days a week, um, two days in uh, Roselle Park, uh, three days in Tom's River. Um, and again, I just had, I had good, in the Tom's River location, the doctor there was a partner in the company. So he, he mentored me a lot when it came to, um, learning about TMJ and muscular pain, something that was always, I always suffered myself. Um, and then in Roselle Park, I took over a practice that was failing. And, you know, with these- Hey, Roselle Park, office, New Jersey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my cousin's a priest in the church there. Yeah. So, um, you know, with these DSOs, with these corporations, all they care about is the numbers. So- few months later, they see that the numbers are getting better in Rosa Park. And the CEO of the company reaches out to the district manager and says, who's this new doctor? I want to meet her. So the CEO of this company that has 40, I think at the time had like maybe 25 to 30 offices all over New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, came and sat down with me and had lunch and said, anything I can do to make you a better doctor, you let me know. What courses are interested? What do you want to take? What do you want to do? At the time, I, I asked for a new assistant, and he, within a week, got me a, ten, a stack of 10 resumes and gave it to a new grad that I just graduated and said, here are some resumes. You figure out who you want. You go with Virginia, who is the manager. You interview the assistant. We'll hire whoever you want us to hire. So I found a, a wonderful assistant that way, and he ends up paying for my Botox and filler course a veneer course, a sleep apnea course. The manager of the um, Tom's River location, again, I was surrounded by just, I was just blessed, surrounded by wonderful people. She said, Dr. Chaudhry, remember, no one can take away your education. So you take as much of the education as he gives you and run with it. So if he's going to pay for something, you do it. Whether you feel like you're going to do it in the future or not, just do it. So I probably got about, $15,000 worth of CE um, in that year. Let me let me ask you then. So you went into this DSO. Do you know what the, the DSO was? Do you have any idea what the DSO was producing when you started? No. 
Because back then, I didn't know anything. Do you have any idea what it was producing when you came in? Had the numbers had to jump significantly, or else there's no reason he'd come talk to you, right? I, I mean, I don't know because back then I didn't know anything about business. It was just me just doing the dentistry and, and that's it. So I don't know what the the jump was. I just know it was enough to him to recognize it. And you were, were I might have missed it. You were the only doc in the office or there was multiple docs? Um, when I was working, I was the only doctor, but I think there was each office had two doctors working the week. Each office? So I think so I was... Me- each office in their in their repertoire of, of DSO practices or each office yeah. in Roselle? Just... So the Roselle office had two doctors working. So I was there, I think, two or... No, I think I was there three days a week and two days home server. So I think I was in Roselle two days and then there's someone else the other two days. Okay. The so I'm sure... That I... I'm sorry. If so I had Tom to guess... I'm... Only... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Tom's River was the only office where I worked with another doctor at the same time because he was partner okay. and he was always there. Okay. So I'm guessing in your three days, you were probably, so you're, you're there 60% of the time, the other decks there 40% of the time. I'm guessing in your 60%, you were doing 80% of the production of the practice. It's my guess. I would have, I would assume. And, and they didn't share that with you. They really did. So you were, were you just getting paid a flat pay or were you getting paid a percent of what you were doing? I was getting, I believe it was a base with a draw. And whoa, whoa. I think that doesn't it make was, sense. So base it was a, a I, would get a, I would get a base and then it would be like 30%. I, I would think it was like 33% collection. So anytime, or, or per, I think it was collection, I was paying on collection there. Sure. And anytime it went over, give me the extra. I yeah, so you have, there. it's basically like a draw against commission, right? So your your draw or your base yeah. is set. And then if you hit right. 2,000 a day, then you're going to get the 33%, which is the greater of base versus percent. Okay. Exactly. exactly. All right, so you're there and... Uh, now, what 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 shifts next? So you're there three days, you're there two days in Times River. And what's the Times River practice like? That's a DSO also, or is that private? It's the same company. Same company. So you're working full-time for this DSO. Full so I'm guessing you're also, are you killing it in Times River too? The Times River one as well was a DSO. Same, same right, company. but I'm saying you're probably doing very well there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're you're identified as a rock star. Okay. So mm-hmm. the guy comes in personally and and he makes all these these offers to you. Okay, which is interesting. Yep. Okay, so where are we at now? How many how many years do you do this arrangement? So I started in July 2011 and at the time I was 24. Yep. Um I turned 25 in September and I was sitting there and again, like you said, Sonny, I'm an overachiever. I can never sit still. So I'm sitting there I'm like what do I do next? They're like, maybe I'll take my MBA. Maybe I'll become a residency director. Maybe I'll do this. So I started studying for my, my MBA, my GRE. Studied for about a week. Realized I hate verbal. I can't do it. So put that on the back burner. Okay, that's not happening. Damn, it's cool. So oh, by the way, I, always... I hated my verbal also. I was accelerating math. I was not so good at my... <laughs> hate verbal. So fast forward to May 2012. I've been in this office for a little a little less than a year. And again, in this period, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what else is there I can do. I'm sure there's something more I can do. Reached out to my oral surgeon attending from dental school, Dr. Aziz, um, who's, I think he's like one of the heads of the department now. He's amazing. Um, he does cleft palate missions in Bangladesh and Ecuador. I reached out to him and said, look, I would love to do one of these missions. I just don't think I could be helpful. So he referred me to another organization called Healing the Children Northeast that does dental missions. So I did my first dental mission with them in May 2020, May 2012 to Jamaica. And I met a doctor there that had an office in Danbury, Connecticut. She was 50 something, we just clicked. She had the same vibes about um, perio. She had the same like kind of philosophies as I did. And after about three days, she goes, I want you to work for me. I love your personality. I don't have any kids. I want to slow down, come work for me. And I was like, I just met you, you're crazy. I'm fine. So do my volunteer work in, in Jamaica, go back to work. And she starts 
calling me, emailing me every month, every other month. Like, you know, I want to check in. I'm like, I'm living at home rent free. I'm not moving. I have the job that I like. It's fine. It's paying the bills. I'm okay. So fast forward to August, 2012. She does a little barbecue, which I find out later is a ploy to get me out there. She did like a bar to make reunion. So I get out there and her office is right next to her house. So I see the office. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a nice little quaint town. So I go home and I talk to my dad and I, you know, I'm telling him all this and he goes, well, what's stopping you? And I'm like, well, you guys, and I'm not paying rent. And he goes, you're stupid. You're going to go and take this job. Now so this, this job offer was a full-time job offer? Full-time. So and it was full-time her private? Not private. And it was, uh, it was private. It wasn't the oral surgery. It was a private regular general office, right? Private regular general dental practice. She only took PPOs. Only took the top five major PPOs. No other insurances, no other HMOs or anything of that sort. Office was only open three days a week. She worked through 12-hour days. And then she was closed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I said, okay, we signed a tentative contract, six months preliminary. I lived in a motel from November until March because I didn't want to commit and get an apartment out there unless I knew wow. it for certain. Okay. Wow. So I would drive up there um, from Jersey to Danbury. It was like an hour and a half drive um, on Sunday night, work until Wednesday, come down Thursday night, and I worked in office in Hoboken on Fridays and Saturdays. All right. Hoboken. Love Hoboken. All right. Yeah. Now, what kind of practice um, was in Hoboken? That was a more insurance-based practice. It wasn't, it was not, a, it was not a good office. It was, was it anything like the DSO? The DSO had to be insurance-based, no? This was worse than the DSO because it was some of the things that this office was doing. Um, they, I asked for dry angles and they asked me if I could reuse them. It was, it was, it was disgusting. It That's was a lot disgusting. of, That's yeah, disgusting. yeah, like, air, like plastic air water syringes reusing them. So I didn't stay there long. Um, okay. I don't remember. Well, much, it's good. Uh, it's good to see the wrong side, right? Yeah. I don't remember much about the setup, the insurance, because it was, it was very short of how long I was there. It was maybe, I want to say maybe four months, if that only two days a week. Um, and I remember it was just something just because I wanted something to fill in those extra four days. I had nothing to do because I don't but like hold on a second. You're working three 12 hour days. Okay. Right. Monday, mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday. It's not like you're not working a full-time job. That's 36 hours. That's most, that's full-time mm -hmm. for 90% of the dentist. Okay. Then you're going and you're working, you take Thursday off. I guess you're a little bit lazy mm -hmm. there. And then you work Friday and Saturday. Like, holy cow. I mean, so you're logging. 50 hours and a week. Those were, I want to say the Friday was maybe a five or six hour day and the Saturday was like a four hour day. So they're like shorter days. All right. So 45, almost 50. I was close. Yeah, that's still. Yeah. I, I, and you know what? It, it takes a toll on your body when you're working 40 plus hours. I, I mean, yeah, I've done it. I did 50 plus hours when I first yeah. started too. So, all right. So in your mind, what's your yeah. long range goal at this point? Are you thinking, hey, I'm going to buy into this practice and be a partner? You're going to expand yeah. the date? What's your thoughts? Yep. So that was, that was my long-term plan. So I, I did the motel thing only because I wanted to, I didn't want to get an apartment there unless I was hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. So we retouched. Um, I want to say it was January ish. I worked from November. I want to say it was three months. We retouched, went up committing and signed a contract. I ended up moving out to Danbury in March, um, 2013. And I went full-time in her office. And again, at the time I was in Danbury, didn't have any friends, didn't know anyone. So wait, wait. I ended up wait, wait, hold on. You said you're going full time, but she only worked three twelve hour days. You were working three twelve hour days. What 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 does that mean? You went full time. You already were full time. No. Well, in my head I wasn't working. I in my head I wasn't making full time hours. I was working the number of days. So in my head, I'm like, what am I gonna do on Thursdays and Fridays? I don't have any friends out here. I don't wanna keep driving on Thursday. I don't wanna work in Hoboken. I want to, I want to get some roots out here. Yeah. So me, like me sitting on my butt for four days, I was like, what's that going to accomplish? I'm 25. I'm young. I might as well, you know, get my feet. What I want to learn. And I figured in my head, 
the more doctors I work with at a young age, the more I would kind of learn different techniques. So I found, after I moved out to Danbury, I found a job in um, Mount Kisco, New York, in Westchester. That was the office I became partner in. And I started working there um, in August 2013. And I was working there Thursday. So now I'm a good, I had a friend, a good friend in uh, Mount Kisco, Fred Faustini, good classmate of mine from dental school. Yeah. I don't think I've known. I don't think I know him. Okay. Um, but so I started working there Tuesday, Tuesday and Friday or Thursday and Friday. Sorry. And as I started working more and more in the Danbury office, I started seeing new patients. So the Danbury practice, she was more of a drill and fill dentist. He didn't know how to do TMJ, didn't do endo, didn't do extraction. So I was doing everything that she didn't do. Um, That's good. Complimentary. I did Botox and filler. She didn't. Um, But it got to a point where I think because she was on her own for so long, she started feeling like I was taking away her patients. So she turned me into the high dentist. I was doing hygiene and I would do endo. I had one patient ask me, ask me after it is endo, why aren't you doing my crown? Do you not know how to do crowns? And that was kind of my time where I was like, I need to figure out my exit plan from this office. So I spoke to the Westchester office. They told me they wanted me there on Tuesday. So I started working in Danbury Monday, Wednesday only, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday in the, the Mount Kisco office. So so wait, um, now this woman, this this dentist, she goes out of her way to recruit you. She knows you. You have a six month romance honeymoon, whatever you want to call it. How how can this how how can you possibly miscalculate this? How can you possibly misunderstand um, uh, your strengths, the practices needs, the 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 absolute synergy that you can achieve when you have now you just added to the menu of the services at the practice you're not taking anything away but it's a oh boy that's that's a, I, i'm almost dumbfounded like that's hard to swallow so i actually know exactly who the patient was that made this shift happen there was a new patient that she had seen for the initial treatment plan and everything and she had a, it was a full mouth rehab case but she was on a blood thinner and she needed scaling, and she was also interested in Botox and filler. So they put her in my schedule because she had to be off the medication, do a kind of a, I think it was like a, a heparin bridge or some sort of bridge with her medication. So she's like, if I'm doing it, I might as well get my Botox and filler to my deep clean. So they put her in my schedule for a deep clean the Botox and filler. As we're in there, again, I love the communication. I love the, the social part of dentistry. We start talking. We start chatting. I find out that she... Because um, of her health condition, couldn't have children, so she adopted four kids. I've always wanted to adopt. We just formed a relationship, and on the patient's way out, she goes to schedule, and the manager asked her, "What doctor do you want to see?" She goes, "I want to see Dr. Chaudhry." And the owner dentist had a flip out after the patient left. I treatment planned that case. Blah blah blah. Why aren't I doing it? I'm like, and it got to the point where I had to approach her and say, "You can keep the money." This is good experience for me. You, I don't want the money from it. If it's the money, you keep it. But I want the experience, and she wants to see me. And then once it says, she's like, no, no, blah, blah, blah. You can have it, whatever. But that's kind of when the trajectory started. We're all sudden now, I'm not seeing new patients anymore. I'm only seeing stuff that she wants me to see. I'm only doing cleanings. So that's kind of when everything started going south. And I know exactly, like, that's exactly when it happened. Because that patient and I are still actually very close. Because we formed well, that bond. Well, then it's then it's absolutely a self-esteem issue. It's nothing to do with you. It's, it's a person no. who's now, listen, I don't have enough self-esteem to understand. Listen, I have a good doctor with me. We have a good relationship. And if you're, and, and, and I'm, was she talking about, hey, becoming partners? I, I'm assuming that was part of her conversation. So in the beginning, she said she wanted me to buy her office. She wanted to, she wanted to slow down and retire eventually. And she wanted me to take over. That was the only reason why I moved out there. What was the age difference between you? She was in her mid fifties and I was 26. All right. Okay. Well, probably set in her ways for sure, but you can't bring somebody in. And, and, and it's not like 
you walked off the street. You were there six months. This this is this is baffling. Anyway, okay, so so you know that uh, you can read the writing on the wall. You know, it's it, you're getting hit over the head with a with a big old block of wood. It's 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 understood. So you now add the Tuesdays, and she has to know that you're on your exit strategy because you're there Monday, Wednesday. Yeah. So what yeah. what happens? Does she say goodbye, or do you what what do you do? How does that dissolve? Because that's got to go away. I still work there Monday, Wednesday, and I was again. I was. I get when I commit myself to something, I want to try to make it work. So I was still trying to make this work. And looking back, I probably stayed eight months longer than I should have. Um, well, how much money? So do right, you know how much revenue you bought into the practice? Um, I know that office made me buy my first luxury car because I was I was bringing in. Um, so when I was at the DSO, I was maybe making eighty-five to ninety a year. When I started working there, I went up to like 180, 190. Oh, that's your take home, right? That's what you're saying. I'm talking about what revenue did you bring into the practice? Oh, that was my take home, and I was getting 30, 33% collection. So if I was making 180, 190, I was probably bringing in about 400 a month or 400 a year, 400 to 500 a year. Right. Yeah. So you're making a third of what it is. Yeah. So you're, you're bringing in close to 40 of 35 to 40 of a month. So you yeah. go, she loses it. Yep. Big portion of that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, bite the hand. Well, anyway, so keep going. So she, you're making yeah. it work. You stay for eight more months, but you're looking, I, right? So, so you, you now are working in, you're working in uh, Westchester Tuesday and Thursday and Friday or no? Yep. Yep. So you're Tuesday, building Thursday, a practice Friday. there now. You're, you're building yep. a practice in that other place. Yeah. Yep. So she, okay. when I went in office, she had just bought an office in Connecticut. So yep. the, the Mount Kisco. So probably, so it was August, 2013. I started there. I want to say it was Early 2000, no, it's probably mid 2014 that I, I dropped the one day. And then I, he asked me to work in her Stanford office as well. So in December 2014 is when I gave the Danbury office my notice. And I started working in the, um, in this, this company, which I'm not going to name. Um, there are two offices in Mount Kisco and in Connecticut. So the company is um, it a DSO? He is in the trajectory of wanting to become a DSO, which is what okay. caused me to exit office. Okay, so it, so the practice that you have been working at has a second office, is what you're saying, right? The practice when I started, she opened her second office because when I started handling the Mount Kisco office, she kind of toned back and started focusing on making other offices because I had everything stable in in Mount Kisco. Okay. So that was in Mount Kisco for. 2013 um, until 2021, um, I started working in the Connecticut location, one of the in the in the Stanford, Connecticut location, in um, 2015. It was like early 2015, um, okay. and then I was I was in her office five days a week plus the Saturday. So I was in there. I was in Stanford on, no, we were off on Wednesdays. I was in Stanford on Mondays and Saturdays, and I was in Kisco on Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We had Wednesdays off. Okay. So at what point, um, where'd the buy-in come and who? So that came, um, 2016, she approached me um, and said that she wanted me to become partner. So I had an attorney, found an attorney, did everything I needed to. The attorney that her attorney actually had recommended me to is the one I used. He looked at the contract and he pretty much said, don't do this. He's like, this is like a glorified associate contract. Don't do it. And at the time, again, I was naive and I was like, no, like this will be a great opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I went against that attorney's advice and I fired him and found another attorney and I signed the contract and it was with sweat equity. So I didn't have to give her anything. I got 5% of the practice with sweat equity um, for a dollar. 
And the plan was after, I think, another four, five years, maybe I would get another 10%. And at the 15%, I would start having to buy if I wanted more. So you, you, you're saying you didn't come out of pocket to buy into the partnership? Is that what you're saying? Nope. So the five... So if you were making 33%, we'll use that number, and five was 5% 5 of your pay going into the purchase of the practice? Did you like? Did no. you have a purchase price? No, it was $1. $1 for the 5%. So 5% of the practice volume you're now getting? Is that what you're getting? Uh, so apparently... Again, this is where I was naive and I should have done more research because I realized after the partnership went through and that kind of, I think, went through and I think it, it went official with contracts 2017. End of 2017 is when all the contracts and everything went went through. Um, I started realizing that first attorney was right and it was just a carrot being dangled um, because all of a sudden now it's like I asking to see you know the the reports and this and that and i'm not able to see anything oh, so, so you're not a partner yes yeah. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't really a partner um so i was the one now that was training the hygienist training the doctors because now she opened a third office and when she opened the third office she said we're gonna we're gonna become an empire and we're gonna make so much money and we're gonna become corporate that was her idea and in my head, I was like, all right, like, I'll go in for the ride. Like, I'm not really doing any of the purchasing. I'm just kind of coming in, kind of building practice and leaving. So she opened a third office. So I started working now on Wednesdays in that third office. Where's this location? So I, it's in Connecticut as well. The third okay. office was in Connecticut. One in New York, two in Connecticut. Um, so I started working in that third office. And I think I took a day off in one of the one of the Mount Kisco days because it was just too much. Um, so I was working in Monday, Saturday, one location. I think it was Tuesday and Friday, another, and then Wednesday and the third. And I did that from, that was probably 2018, I think, and 2019, something of that sort. Okay. Maybe 2018. Um, but again, at the end of the, end of the year I never really got a my K1 didn't really say we ever made a profit it was always a loss I never really made any money so the partnership was pretty much me just doing extra work so wait a second so how are and you getting it, paid how, how are you getting paid I'm still getting paid as an employee and like an employee because that at that office I was getting paid 30 percent production not collecting anything therapy so when she gave me the new contract I remember getting so mad at her saying, you're giving me the same contract that you would give to someone that just graduated. And I've been with you for eight years. And I remember that was kind of when everything started going south. And that was, I want to say that was 2018, 2019 is when that third office opened. So at that point, again, I'm starting to wake up a little bit. My naive, my, my, my naiveness is going away and I'm starting to realize something just doesn't seem right. Has your has um, your income increased though? With it has to, right? Because you're, you're working more, well, you're a little bit settlement. When I left my practice, my take home was around three hundred twenty five thousand as an as an associate. Yeah. Because at this point, the partnership, I wasn't really bringing it home any money. It was just more of an associate. So, right. which is why when to leave it was so hard because even my brother was like you're making a lot of money and you don't have to worry about the stress of your own office and so everyone was telling me not to do it well the, the one the weird thing is though you never came out of pocket with money no you know so you, you know you basically were an associate you know you, you you're not a partner that's that's a complete that was a that's partner. That's the sleeves out of your vest, right? But you didn't have, at least you didn't have to go borrow money, buy, you know, buy into a practice that says, okay, now I have 50% ownership. Now I have equity. I can borrow against it. It's an, you know, I mean, you can do something with that. All right. So the writing's on the wall. You've woken up. Now, how do you get out? So COVID happened and COVID was a wake up call. 
Um, when COVID happened, it was just more of the way that the office. So when we became, I'm doing air quote partner, it became, I was good cop. She was bad cop. And everyone would come to me and complain. And I'd be like, I don't really have a pool in any of this. I'm not really a partner. So if you're complaining, like I would try to like talk to her and then she would get mad and be like, whose team are you on? And it would just get very catty. You're supposed to be on my side. You're not on their side, but right is right. So if something wasn't right, I would, I would make a, bring it to her attention. Um, the way she handled COVID just wasn't appropriate. She made some promises to the, to the team about salary and pay. And then she walked back on it like a day before the world shut down. So there, there are staff members that, again, you don't ever know someone's financial background. Some people work paycheck to paycheck. So the yeah, fact that they were most people do. And all of a sudden now they said, oh, you know, you got to go to unemployment. Unemployment was crazy back then. I had one assistant that didn't get paid for, didn't get money for four months because your unemployment wasn't, wasn't kicking in. Um, so that started me kind of questioning things. Um, the second thing was as the world opened up and I'm trying to obviously take care of my patients, I'm, she's hiring these associates that aren't being trained properly and I'm cleaning up the mess. And when I go to clean up the mess, I'm getting in trouble for doing it the right way. Um, there was one patient in particular that should never have gotten Invisalign that one of the other associates did Invisalign on and all of a sudden his teeth were just it was only touching on three teeth in his mouth and that's it. And promises were made to him that were impossible. So I was taking over, um, took over the case, tried to make it better. Um, the world shut down. He came back right after. And all of a sudden now he's having pain on 15, 16, because those are the only two touching. And he had a widened ligament. So at that point, I said, look, I need to send you to ortho. So I spoke to her, I spoke to her, spoke to her orthodontist. He said, don't worry about it. Send him here. We'll take care of him. Don't even worry about the finance. We'll figure it out. So I called the patient. I let him know we're going to send you to, you know, his so-and-so he's a great orthodontist. He's going to take care of you. He's going to make sure that nothing else happens because this is a very complex case. And the patient asked how much is going to cost. Don't worry about the money. We're going to take care of you. I got reamed a new one for telling him not to worry about the money when he paid $6,000 plus already. So that was number one. And then there are a couple other incidents that happened right after that where I'm trying to fix something that a doctor did and then I'm getting in trouble because I'm not fixing it the way that she wants it because I'm focusing more on the patient instead of her pocket. Yep. So that kind of made me realize that it, I love, I obviously love what I do and I love the conversation skills. I love having to sit with the patient. I would have patients tell me you're on roller skates. I wouldn't, I would not be able to spend more than 20, 30 minutes on a patient. And if I wouldn't sit there and talk to them, I would have the manager tapping their watch outside of my door saying, you got to go. Um, I just well, the, tr the train is leaving the tracks in this practice, right? The train is definitely leaving the tracks and they are, they're, 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 they already are corporate already. That's what they become. They, yep. She's, she's gotten her wish. She's made her own little corporation and yep. she doesn't really want to hear any of the bad stuff. She just wants to, you know, cash the check. Yep. So, so yep. how do you approach it? What do you do? Do you have a meeting with her and say, I'm out of here? Nope. So I did everything very, very low key. I found an attorney, showed him my contract, told him I'm not going to make a lateral move. I'm not going to go work for someone else. I feel like it's time. And it was COVID. So COVID was obviously a great time to buy. Um, so he looks at my contract, tells me this is the area I could be looking at. I get a broker. He starts showing me places. So the area, um, you're saying the area outside outside of the covenant is what you're saying so you respect the covenant. covenant how big was your covenant two miles ten. how much 10 miles 10 miles in westchester that's ridiculous that's ridiculous that that, yeah. that can't even that wouldn't even hold up but anyway so you stay outside of it you're respectful okay all right so office that's 11 miles out and i find this practice and i fall in love with it and it was everything i wanted and I found this office early July. Um, fast forward two weeks, my dad gets sick, ends up in the hospital. Um, ultimately ends up passing away August oh, 4th, 2020. Sorry. And I put the office on hold. 
And at this point now, I'm only working in that office on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I tell oh, four days. Yeah. I tell the owner I have to take care of my mom. I have to go back to Jersey back and forth. I have to do this. I don't want to work in that third location anymore. So I was only working three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and into the Saturdays anymore. So I started doing that again. And in the meantime, as I was doing that, I um I was doing that and I was miserable. I was depressed at home. I was depressed at the office because I just wasn't happy with what was happening. And I had a dream in September, 2020. And it was pretty much my dad and my dog that died a month apart. My dog died in July. My dad died in August. And it was a dream. And it was just pretty much me crying to my dad saying, I don't know what to do. I want to take care of mom. I'm miserable. I'm depressed at home, depressed at work. I hate what I do. I hate waking up for work. And my dad just gave me, in, in our culture, you put your, if an elder puts your hand on their head, it's a blessing. He put his hand on his head, gave me a hug, and he disappeared. And I woke up that next morning with no hesitation. I called my broker. I said, is the office still available? I put an offer on it right now. And that was it. Backtrack a, a little bit. Um, backtrack a little bit. So I found, I found an attorney. I found an attorney. The attorney found me an accountant. The accountant starts looking into my taxes because, again, I was naive. When I started working with this office, I was 24, 26, I think. So I, my accountant was her accountant, which is the stupidest thing I probably could have done. When I became partner, my accountant was her accountant. So obviously with partner, um, with partner, um, he's going to obviously protect the one that makes more money, which is her. So whenever I had to ask him something, he wouldn't give me the information. Even though he was my accountant too, he was her accountant. So it was very shady, very shady. Oh, that's that's not shady. That's that's unethical. That's malpractice. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So when I got my new accountant, he's looking at my tax room. He's like, oh, so you made a profit in 2020, uh, 2019. I was like, wait, I did? He's like, well, you, you pay taxes on about $15,000. I was like, oh, so I made a profit on money that I never got. And I, I, I pay tax on money that I never got. But apparently the office made a, pro a profit in 2019, but no one ever told me, no one ever gave me any money because my accountant did the tax and no one ever. So that's when things started spiraling got really bad. So that's when things got really bad. So I remember having... This was, no, this was actually, this was a backtrack. So I put the offer on the practice in September. I found the new accountant. He was doing all the financials for this and all the financials for, for that. So closed on the office in January, 2021. No one knew in that old practice that this was happening. In December, I had set up a call with the old accountant, my new accountant, um, the owner of the practice and myself them not knowing that I had a new accountant. So it was pretty much like, I want to review the 2018 tax returns because I showed it to a friend of mine and he explained something out. I want to make sure everything's fair. So once they find I had an accountant, if you said that was not ethical, I literally, they, they, the guy literally yelled at me and hung up on me, the old accountant, and was like, I can't talk to you without her being on the phone. I was like, well, you didn't send me a conference call link, so I have my accountant on, on three-way. I, I don't know what you want to do. So pretty much they hung up on me, didn't give me any information. And all of a sudden, randomly, I get a check with taxes taken out again of that same amount. So she gave me like a W-2 check. And I'm like, oh, so you're, you're, you're taking taxes out again. I was like, I, don't, I literally called the bookkeeper. I said, refund that check. I don't want that check. So that was December. Things started going really south then. So I'm still working in that office now. I cut down another day. So I'm only working there, I think, two days a week. And I'm working here two days a week. So I'm working in this office on Tuesday and Thursday. And then I was working in the old office, I think, uh, or no, I think I was working here Monday, Monday, Wednesday. And he was, I was, uh, it was something like that. It was two days here, two days there, yeah. whatever. I don't remember what the date. Two was. days on your own. Uh, I was on my own. So I, I opened this practice in January, 2021. So I wanted to work just because I wanted to, again, I was terrified that I was going to fail. So I wanted to make sure I had some income coming in in case something happened at the office. So I gave her my notice 
um, I want to say mid-February, my 30-day notice. And I left it short and sweet. I think she had an idea that something was happening. I think she had an idea, but no one really, it was very quiet. Um, and then I started marketing myself in March. And that's when she kind of knew that I left. Um, but I started marketing. I told my marketing team that I wanted them to make my name as searchable as possible. I had a ton of patients follow me from that office that just found me online. And because again, I was there for about 10 years almost. And I had patients there when they found out that I left. They're like, I thought she owned this place. They're like, I thought she ran this place. Like she walked around like she ran this place. And I was like, well, yeah. And when patients came here, they're like, I was like, well, I pretty much did. I pretty much act like it was my own. Well, so that's how the- it was yours, technically, according to yeah. what she said. But you weren't. Wow. So did you yeah. have to look at your contract in terms of your exit? Like your, 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 um, my, what, my attorney, what, my, what, what did that look like? What did it say? Like, you're no, you had to give 30 days notice. Did you have to do anything, plead any cases? Was what, what, what did the exit look like? So my attorney handled all of that. So it was 30 days written letter and I had to give her the dollar back or she had to give me the dollar back, which I was just like, there was, there wasn't even a dollar. We just didn't exchange any money. It was just more of like a champagne toast when the whole partnership happened. So it was just more him dissolving the partnership. Um, they put a contract together where it was just a, a no fault contract where if anything happens, like she can't come after me, I can't come after her or anything like that. It was just more of like, just cut clean. Um, I don't think she, ha- I don't think she had owed me anything. I'm not really sure. Um, but I think my, my attorney just handled it himself and just pretty wait, much wait. told me. She doesn't know you anything. She, 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 ta- she tabbed you with taxes now on two years for money you didn't receive. Did that ever get resolved? So she ends up um, sending me the check without taxes taken out of what I was owed for that partnership, that, that money that I made. From 2019 and 2020? Apparently 2020 wasn't, didn't have any profit because it was COVID. But 2019, she ended up, so initially when, when all of that drama happened with the accountant, she ended up, I think she had an idea. So the bookkeeper sent me a check and it had taxes taken out. So I called the bookkeeper and emailed her and she sued her and said, refund this check. I don't want it because I paid tax on it already. And this is, this is stupid. And then she had the bookkeeper send another check that had no taxes taken out. Um, Cause I think she knew like, I, I, she, they, I, I feel like at that point they kind of figured out that I knew what they were doing. Um, and that I kind of was onto them. Well, I mean, they got their, excuse me, they got their ass hanging out, okay? They're exposed. You're going to expose them. Their risk, right? Their risk benefit, they better make good. I still don't think you got the right amount. If if they kept $15,000 in taxes, right, or you paid $15,000 in taxes and you're in an upper tax bracket, the income for that $15,000 is any fifteen grand. Nope. It's a lot more than that. Okay. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.